Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and guide us in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, Follow us on our social media. Go to the Facebook page, the Zero Network. And uh, you can join us there. Follow us on all uh, on Zira. I'm gonna put a little bit about on Twitter. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Zira Radio is the Twitter handle at Lorenzo T Neal is my handle. Also, we invite you to become a patron. Go to Patreon.com/slash Lorenzo T Neal and support us for as little as a dollar a month. Help this uh, show broadcast, do what we have set out to do uh, over these last 10 years. And again, we thank you. 10 years we've been doing this show, and we appreciate you. And as stated before in previous broadcasts, you know, occasionally we'll upload clips from previous, from past podcasts over the last 10 years and just have some flashbacks every now and then. So look out to those. Um, we. This is actually. Uh, we tried to record on our regular schedule and we couldn't for whatever reason. The internet was down, phones were down here, couldn't do anything. Uh, we we so we're making up for that. So we apologize for the inconvenience, but we do invite you to take a listen uh, on today. Wherever you're listening from, thank you so much. A couple of things we're going to talk about today. If you read the description, you see that we're talking about uh, Don Lemon. We're going to talk about uh, schools reopening or preparing to reopen it. And I just wanted to give my little two cents on the entanglement of uh, Will and Jada Smith. I may not talk about it a lot, but I just, you know, everybody is getting their own two cents in. So I figured I'd do that. But I want to lead off with this article 
um, that was in the Christian Post that says one-third of practicing Christians are not watching online church services <laughs> during COVID-19 lockdown. And as I stated before, a lot of churches have, as, as states have been reopening, so have churches been reopening. But at the same time, there have been many other churches that have reopened and immediately closed back down because their uh, members were exposed to the virus or contracted the virus. And so they closed the doors back. And we are seeing um, mega churches like Andy Stanley, who pastors uh, a great mega church there in the Atlanta, Atlanta metro area, son of Charles Stanley. And um, uh, he just recently stated that his church will not have service for the rest of the year. And, you know, some are applauding him. Some are, uh, are saying he's crazy. I, I, Me personally, I am content with not having in-person worship experience for the rest of the year if necessary. I do miss the interaction. That's what I miss. I miss the engagement. I miss the amen corner. I miss, I miss just, you know, fellowshipping with like-minded believers. Uh, Sunday after Sunday, but I believe you know as as many others that this is just temporary uh, a light affliction as Paul writes in Second uh, Corinthians. This is a light affliction; it's just temporary. And what we're seeing is temporary leads to that which is eternal, and that's what we should be looking forward to anyway. That great getting up morning when we all get together. What a day of rejoicing that would be when we all see Jesus. Now, I ain't rushing that. But that <laughs> that is what every believer should be looking forward to. Um, but back to the story. The story is saying one-third of all practicing Christians have not been watching their own church online or another church's streaming service since lockdowns have been in place. And... um. I honestly can tell you uh, that is the case. I, I get to view analytics of our streams from my local ministry, and yes, we have we have hundreds of views, even thousands actually. Sometimes uh, depends on when they're watching for Bible study or when they're listening in. You know, we get the analytics, analytics, analytics. And uh, there's some there are some services we've had thousands of views. There's some services we've had hundreds of views. And in person worship, we only have a few dozen, you know, several dozen people in person, which means that yes, we have more people watching. And I am part of that too because I don't just I don't watch my service. I watch others. Um, but here's the thing. While we may have more people watching, they're not watching the entire service. The average for my church, the average viewership, the average person viewed for about a minute and a half. Now, and that I, this is just from the more recent uh, statistics of, of maybe last Sunday or the Sunday before last. 
the last previous, most recent. Um, so nobody watched the. Well, I won't say nobody. Very few watched the entire service. And of those very few uh, who watched the entire service, none of them uh, that I can recall really left comments. There are a few who made comments like good morning or something like that. But other than that, no substantial amens, no substantial um, hallelujahs or anything like that. Um So the article does make sense. Um let me let me read up a little bit more. Th- this is what the article says. Now this is the this was done by Barner Christian Research or Barner Research Group. I won't say Christian because uh they do a little bit more, but they do most of the church. But this is what it said, um, that according to the surveys, uh, Christians who stream their home church online uh, did so mostly because they stopped – they just stopped going to church. But the vast majority, of course, are um, Gen X and um, a few are millennials. So now this group – Particularly the younger group, the millennials, they were already not really attending church prior to the pandemic, to the COVID, and to the lockdowns. And since then, a lot of them are not. So statistically, they're saying 35%, only 35% of Gen X and 26% of baby boomers are foregoing digital church, which can be expected because you're talking about people in my generation and my parents' generation. Uh, uh, and they are used to in person and the technology for them most of them even if they have a a uh mobile phone they don't access the digital part of the mobile phone you know they may take pictures they may receive videos but they I'm and I'm talking about with the boomers less likely they're less likely to use it for the internet use it to stream now, some may be a little more tech savvy, but for the most part, they're just using it because it's a phone, and they go get pictures of their babies and their grandbabies and their great-grandbabies. And my generation, even though we grew up at the advent of cellular technology, and many of us integrated cellular technology into our everyday life, we still are less likely to use it in the capacity to, to stream a, a, a service. Now, now that you can stream Facebook Watch on on um, Prime, Amazon Prime, and not Amazon Prime, uh, what Fire Stick, whatever they call it. So you know, I actually called my service one Sunday on um, on Amazon the the Watch on Facebook Watch, and I was like, wow, <laughs> that's cool. But for the most part, many of us don't. Uh, we we are used to in person. So the data further broke it down and said only 14% of practicing Christians made a church switch during the pandemic. So 18% of uh, practicing Christ, Christians report viewing 
services from multiple churches throughout the month, and that's me. I'm one of those persons. Uh, I on a Sunday morning or whenever, especially Wednesdays, you know, I'm watching different people, and I don't mind it. I like it. But uh, for the majority of the people, you know, they, they get the church hop. I, <laughs> it, it's, it's make me laugh because I remember when I was in college and um, I didn't have a particular church home at one time. And I was a musician. I was playing for churches. And, you know, I'd go from one church to the next, you know, on two Sundays. I mean, two churches in one Sunday playing. And they were, you know, I was called a church hopper because I was a preacher, but I was not pastoring at the time, even though I was, uh, you know, preaching. I was, it wasn't a big deal, but I was called a church hopper because I didn't have a home. And I was like, I'm only here from college. I'm not going to, I don't even know if I'll be here next semester. So don't try to lock me down. <laughs> That's just it. But here's some more what they say. Say respondents who have stopped attending church during the COVID-19 are less likely than the peers who are still attending the same church during the pandemic to agree with the statement, I am not anxious about my life as I have inner peace from God. So 76-87% of the group reported. In other words, uh, in other words, uh, 76% of these people who responded to the survey say they, they're not as anxious. You know, they have peace. So church you know, virtual church is not going in and and uh, hamper on that peace. It's not going to interfere on that inner peace. They they got it. And, you know. Uh, the second part says practicing Christians who have stopped attending church in recent weeks are more likely than all other practicing Christians to say they feel bored all of the time. Seventeen percent versus six percent, or that they have felt insecure at least sometime. Some at least some of each day, eleven percent versus seven percent. Now, I, I don't have um, I, I don't have the exact data, you know the 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 actually data. I'm just reading the article. I wish I could see the exact data and how it's further broken down. But I, you know, you won't have to be. <laughs> I still get bored. I am bored more since this pandemic, since we have been forced to shelter in place. And once we start reopening and now it's looking like we'll be going backwards, you know, back to a sheltering in place type of uh, life. I've been bored. There's nothing else to do. You know, you're watching Netflix, watching Hulu, you're watching everything. Um, I, I rarely order through these uh, food delivery services, I still go out, and I, I don't mind waiting in the drive-through. I did it when I was getting one of those Popeye sandwiches, so I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind doing it now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I don't think the really relevance of that part, but it's it said that. Yeah, you're gonna feel bored all the time, especially those of of the pastor, full-time pastoral ministry, uh, it you don't have as much to do. I don't have as much to do. You can't go out to visit those persons who are hospitalized or in nursing homes or long-term care facilities. Um, anybody who's over age 65, you know, you can't really visit ISA also. 
Um, and and you know, travel in some places is still a bit more restrictive than others. So it's it's really not to do not much to do. And I have learned, and it's just me. I've learned in these last uh, several months that it really doesn't take me twenty hours to develop a sermon. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I would spend fifteen plus hours researching, reading, finding a ways to, you know, not writing my sermon, but just getting the meat of studying, only to realize that now I only have a 30-minute service altogether. I mean, my whole service is, with the exception of a communion Sunday, uh, 30 minutes or less. That includes the singing and the praying and my preaching. You know, and I'm like, wow, it's taking a big burden off me. And yes, it does make me a little, <clears throat> a little more bored because I have to find stuff to do. I have to come up with things to do. <laughs> you know, I find myself cleaning the church every now and then. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the article, some truth, I think one of the concerns that I had raised is that once people, um, you know, this now is a habit, and it only takes 21 days to develop a habit, but it takes a longer time to break a habit. And people have now um, habitualized not no in-person worship. And even when they are able to afford the opportunity to return to worship, it's still restrictive for church congregations like mine where the vast majority of the population are part of this vulnerable population. They're age 65 and older. They're still not going to be, even when we do reopen, if we do reopen, they still won't be able to come. So, uh, young people, what are we going to do with y'all? Well, there's, there's another, another angle to this. And I'm going back to Andy Stanley. See, one advantage Andy Stanley and churches like his have is they had already developed virtual campus. They were already multi-site campuses. They already had the means of integrating non-in-person worship. And, you know, so he won't have thousands of people in the building at one time. He will still had. they already had the means of delivery a full service virtually. They had virtual campuses and I think about other churches like lifechurch.tv uh you know multi-site campus virtual campuses. And a lot of the churches including myself are are, are, are exploring this like we have to develop a virtual campus now. So, you know, we have to adjust our rinky dinky website and make it a Greaterly, greaterly. That's not even a word. Make it more accessible to others. And not only that, but we also must be able to integrate more technology into the worship experience. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, churches are churches are still closing and all that is still happening. But the biggest concern now is that schools have to open back. 
So this is a concern of of me having been a former educator, former school administrator. This is my big concern. Um, how are we going to educate our students? And uh, these last, uh, the last two months of the school year, from March to uh, May, we saw a lot of schools doing things that were extraordinary to help their their uh, student population, at least to the end of the school year. Uh, we saw a lot of teachers being innovative in their uh, approach methodologies and to school and we saw a lot of parents getting more engaged in the process of educating their children I've long been a proponent of school choice uh, vouchers charter schools there's no secret there and I am always going to be a supporter of public education I'm a product of public schools uh, I taught in public schools. I've, you know, I taught in public schools, private schools, parochial schools, um, and I, I just believe this is a great opportunity for school districts to be innovative as possible. Schools are going to do uh, hybrid methods, uh, and, and let me let me preface this by saying I disagree with Bessie DeVos. President Trump demanding that schools be open and open immediately. You know, uh, this takes time. This this is this is different. You know, you have to be careful uh, how you approach this. You know, children are the most vulnerable population, and we're learning. We're not learning. We we know kids are irresponsible to a degree. You know, the, to them. This isn't as um, infringing upon their right to go to school. They're cool. We're not going back in person. <laughs> Some of them would be glad that they don't have to go back to school. Now, their parents won't be, but they certainly will be. But when you talk about, when you look at the totality of the um, education system, public school education in particular, you know, a lot of school districts, especially here in the South, uh, where we have a lot of rural school districts, that is the challenge. Most of these rural school districts are not funded an, uh, enough, well enough to be able to support hybrid methods, and they have to go back in person. And, and then when you look at teachers, we are still in a teacher shortage. Yes, a lot of teachers enter the profession, but they don't enter the profession because teaching is their passion. They enter that profession because teaching is a stepping stool to further experience. You know, they go to a lot of these young teachers only doing it because, one, they have this promise by the federal government if they do so many years, if they have student loans, particularly working in a Title I school that that student loan debt could possibly be forgiven others are doing it because they're in programs like teach for america where they only have to do a short tenure maybe a year or two before they say all right i did my due diligence i'm gone and for others it's just because they can't get a job in their degree (laughs) 
field. So what do they do? They they teach. Maybe not, you know, and for most states, all it requires to teach is, is you have so many credit hours, you know, and you can get a provisional every license for up to three years. Take the test, the practice, pass the practice, and get your license. And, you know, teach for three to five years, get tenure. Yeah, you'll never get fired after that. <laughs> I'm making light of it, but for 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 real, this is how it is in many cases. And so by diversifying the approach of education in our public schools, um, you know, private schools are more accessible to – they have the – the means of uh, having their students access the technology necessary. But when you're talking about areas where there's no broadband or areas like in our, in my my metro area where one uh, conglomerate controls the Internet and there's no, no other options, you know, and you don't get the quality of service or you have to pay for the quality of service that you need. It's challenging. And so school districts are, are looking into that. And a lot of school districts, I, I appreciate as one form of this hybrid approach is, you know, few days on in person and few days off where they're uh, at home virtually. And I, I definitely like that quad, that uh, hybrid approach. So I'm a, I've read this in a couple of places where they're going to do in some smaller school districts, not across, you know, but they're going to do, hey, we're going to go by the the last name, you know, <laughs> line up by your last name. So <laughs> go to school on these days according to your last name. So your, your name starts with A through F. You go on this day. Your name starts through G through whatever you go on this day. <laughs> Um, it, that's an interesting way of approaching it. Now, when it comes to the athletic part of uh, school, this this is going to be a little more challenging. Being a former band director, I want my kids to to uh, I want to take them to band camp. I want, and of course, band camp. I can help them social distance. <laughs> They'll be running more than anything. <laughs> no, but you know. Academics and athletics are intertwined when it comes to the uh, full educational experience of most people. Even if they're not student-athletes, they go to the games or they have friends who are athletes, student-athletes. And and, um, this is very much a critical part, vital part of the community also. You know, these small schools support their football team, basketball team. They're going to go to these games, and you know we have to be considerate of that. And for for a lot of communities, that is the bulk of their identity. You know, and all of that has to be considered when we make this approach. And when it comes to the smaller children, uh, those Head Start age children, those pre-K and kindergarten children, I am a strong proponent that they stay home. You know, there are plenty of opportunities. Uh, children, and when I, I tell you, when I talk to the elementary level, I can't tell you the number of times I got sick <laughs> interacting with those kids. Love them. I love them. But, I, you know, I, I'm vulnerable. 
I get sick easily, unfortunately. And they were just coming up and hugging Mr. Neal. And, you know, I don't deny children hugs at all. I just adore them. You know, they're going to come up and hug me. I'm, I'm going to be sick. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they we have to find a way of accommodating them and learning how teaching uh, their educators how to approach that. I don't have a means of doing that. And that technically is what the Federal Department of Education is supposed to be doing. And yet they're not doing. They're not providing any kind of guidelines as far as I know. Um, they may have. I was supposed to have been on a call with Bessie DeVos the other day, and I uh, turned it down. She was one of the persons who was supposed to be on. Uh, but anyway, I, 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 my concern about school districts, yes, let them go. It's okay to delay. The last of the school year is not going to damage the children at all. Make make the parents a little bit more frustrated, but it's not going to damage the children at all. It's okay to delay. It's okay to say, well, we usually start the first week of August, but we'll delay it to the fourth week of August to make sure that we have quality control in place and we have procedures that are going to be in, uh, protective of the children and not just you know, saying we're going to do school. So I'm I'm being prayer for all of these uh, school district leaders, you know, superintendents, uh, directors of education, superintendents of education, and of course, the federal department of education, and all of those private schools too, because it's not in charter schools and parochial schools. They have the same issue in some to some degree. I think they're uh, better equipped and. I'm just saying I can't say definite, but I believe they uh, may be better equipped to uh, make the adjustment in public schools. And if you're a parent of a child who's in public school, you may also want to consider, if you have the means to do so, consider homeschooling. That's a wonderful option. Um, uh, create a homeschool association. If you are able, if you're not a part of a homeschool association, join um, homeschool association. There are black homeschool associations. Find it if, if, if particularly black folks. I, I'm just again, while I am a wonderful supporter of public schools, uh, I believe you know we can do it ourselves. We should do it. Anyway, I'm take a quick. Uh, I'll take a quick break. And uh, coming back on the side of the break, we're going to talk about Don Lemon and Will and Jada. And, uh, yeah, it's always something. But anyway, take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Zira Today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal.
find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits to comprehend memory legal shield? Yes. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. Hello and welcome back to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. Uh, there was something that caught my eye not long ago, a few days back, caught my ear rather, let me put it that way. Um, Uh, just, I'm sorry, I got lost. Don Lemon, who is a uh, commentator for CNN, uh, and, and you know, I guess he's an activist. I don't know what to describe him as. Um, I just know that he's uh, on television at night. I don't watch the show, so I don't speak to character or anything like that. But uh, the last few weeks. He's been taking a hit, and he's been taking a hit largely because of what he has been espousing. He got into a heated exchange with Terry Crews, the actor, about Black Lives Matter and their perspective, each one of their perspective about the movement, not the the, uh, motto, but the movement. 
the movement. And um, he was on his show uh, with a fellow commentator, Cuomo. Um, and uh, so he let these words slip out. Well, not slip out. This is what he actually said. Take a listen. Jesus Christ, if you believe in, if, you, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ, admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. Okay, that was too low. Let me play it one more time. Jesus Christ, if you believe in, if, you, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ, admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. Six seconds. That's all he said. Jesus Christ, uh, if you believe in Jesus Christ, admittedly was not perfect while he was on this earth. Now, I don't know where he got that from. I don't know where the admittedly comes in and by what definition does he he uh speak as perfect was not perfect but uh yeah buddy he was perfect <laughs> he he was perfect and um he is the example of perfection that all Christians are to aspire to and we don't aspire to it because we're trying to get on his level because by way of the Holy Spirit, he liberates us, fills us, sanctifies us, and makes us that way. We are that way by way of grace and faith. We're not that way because we're trying, you know, we live better lives than other people. We don't do certain things or go certain places or say certain things. No, this is an act of redemption, reconciliation, and justification through faith in what God did through Jesus Christ. And he had to be the perfect lamb to do that. And I, I was looking at the, if you could see the clip, and you look at the face of <laughs> the other commentator, he was like, did that dude just say that? Mind you, Dunlimit claims to be a person of faith. Claims to be. I don't know how... By this statement, I don't believe he is. And that's me. By the statement, I don't believe he is. There's no way you can say that boldly and, and profess a saving, reconciling, liberating, and justifying in God through Jesus Christ. There's no way you can say that. So I, I doubt if he's a, a, a Christian. I doubt if he's a believer of anything aside from himself. And that's that's great. Fine, fine for him, but um, to say that boldly is—I'm <laughs> laughing because I don't know what else to, else to say. Now, I have a lot of non-believer friends who will, will probably say he meant it in another way uh, regarding his interactions with uh, individuals. When you read through the scriptures. When you read through the scriptures, you would come to a conclusion just by reading the Gospels. In some interactions with Jesus, he does not come across as perfect. He, does def, he definitely doesn't come across as meek and mild. Think about his, his interaction with the Syrophoenician woman where he all but uh, came across as a bigoted um, Jewish man. And she had to self uh, deprecate herself, say, well, even the, the dogs deserve the crumbs. 
and his interactions with the hip, uh, <laughs> with the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites and watch whitewashed tombs. And I guess the best example that a lot of people use is the time that he threw a tantrum, uh, threw a fit, walking through the temple. You know, he took the time to string a whip and then go through the temple, turning over tables and proclaiming that the house of God is a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. Now, when you read that at face value, I think some will present that as an argument to the fact that, no, he was not perfect because he didn't exercise, seemingly did not exercise self-control, humility, or any of that in those cases. And and no, that that's not the case. You know, he was human, experiencing all the human experiences, emotions, and all of that. And uh, as the author in Hebrews right, he was uh, he was uh, tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. And Paul writes in Romans five that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And again, and he. In Philippians, he said that he thought it not robbery to become like man, took it upon himself, and in the curse of the death of the tree, and the curse of humanity's uh, um, sin, the wages of sin, and all of that. So yeah, Don, brother, uh, you know, sometimes you just gotta keep your mouth shut. Sometimes it's okay. And if you want to use a uh, an example of perfection, use yourself. Don't <laughs> don't use someone who's revered by billions of individuals across the globe, and then say admittedly. I mean, you can't say admittedly because he doesn't admit it. If it were explicit in scripture where Jesus admits that he was not perfect, then you can use that. But no. You can't say admittedly was not perfect <laughs> uh, because there is no admission anywhere in Scripture, Old or New Testaments, where you will find that. I just wonder, and, and there are a lot of people who, who you know, still watch his his broadcast and still support CNE and mainstream media, even though. The, they are no longer caring about the bias they present toward uh, President Trump, and I'm not pro-Trump or anything like that. I'm just saying it's just even more explicit how less they care that you don't care, or if you do care, you're not caring that they don't care about how biased they are. But that's neither here nor there. This last thing I really want to talk about, just because I can not that it's anything major, not that it's damning or anything. I just like these two people. I had a crush on Jada Pickett way back in the day. You know, I had a crush on her. I think she's gorgeous. Uh, I've always admired Will Smith since he was a rapper, and even more so as an actor. And the fact that they have now, I think their parenting is a bit strange. That's just me. <laughs> Uh, I I I like Jada so much that I even when she had her metal rock band, I bought that CD. That's how much I was into her. The fact that she was in a metal, heavy metal band, 
as a singer, lead singer. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and of course, they've always um, been profiled at this as this great Hollywood couple, power couple, just like Ruby D and um, her husband. Oh man, what's his name? Ozzy Davis, I think that's his name. Um, and it it came out that Ozzy and Ruby D had an open marriage for fifty years and. How that looked, I I don't know. They kept it as secret as as it could be, and as far as we know, they thrived. But anyway, Will Smith, Will and Jada Smith have had an, a unique a a unique relationship, public relationship that has become you know one of the, they were standardized for. African American couples to look up to, you know, this is this is this is gold. This is relationship gold, and it turned out well, wasn't as <laughs> as much relationship gold as uh, they thought, and um, so they it came out several weeks ago. This young man, this young singer, stated that he had been in a relationship with Jada. And not only had he just been in a relationship, he was in love. I mean, he was in love, love. He was in love, love, love. And, you know, singing about her, missing her and all that. And he's like, they had a sexual relationship, a relationship, relationship. But Jada and Will went on the offensive in their red table talk. And... This is what Jada, this is how Jada described it. I thought I had this. Good gosh. Hold on. Got to pull it up. Hold on. While I find this file. Anyway, while while I'm pulling up this file, so they they had the romanticized perspective of their marriage, and turns out that wasn't how it was. And they did red table talk. If you're not familiar with the red table, well, you probably already are. I wasn't as familiar with the red table talk. I watched a couple episodes, but um. In their red table talk, they talked about how um, how they got where they were, how all of this affected them. They talked about the fact that they had been on a break. Will was literally had decided that he would he was no longer going to put up with her and. Um, And that um sorry, got too much going on here. And this clip is just not gonna come up, so I'll I'll just leave it. I've what the clip was 
there was this exchange between the two of them when Jada said, when Will asked the question, uh, what happened? You have to tell what happened. And she responds but by saying, yeah, I got into an entanglement. And then I got into an entanglement, and Will responds to an entanglement. He laughs, and he says, a relationship. And she's like, yes, a relationship. Um, now, here's the interesting thing about this. There are many couples, there are a lot of couples who go through this uh, similar events where they they have they have um, moments where they 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 break up and then after they break up they go back together and, I, and I've been in in one like that we went back and forth back 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 and forth <laughs> and it goes on and in this case Will had determined that uh, they would have to dissolve their marriage but then relented and decided well we don't have to dissolve it we can make it work and they got back together this happens more frequently than people care to admit and it's just that they're high because they're a high profile family that this is not only making news but starting to bring up the conversation about uh, meaningful relationships what does that look like what does a meaningful successful relationship look like and and um, for for many couples it, it's a daily reconciliation where they always are reconciling and if they are separated sometimes they may never physical separate physically separate where you know they leave for a period of time sometimes they just you know husband know he's gonna have to sleep on the couch that night uh, or, you know, the husband knows that, okay, I'm just going to have to give him more space. Well, the wife knows I'm going to have to give him more space or anything like that. In the case of Will and Jada, from a counseling perspective, um, what what I observed just from their their conversation was that a, at a, over a period of time, what they were trying to accomplish, they realized they were really not accomplishing. And they had probably come to a conclusion, at least Will had come to a conclusion that he could not in good conscience carry on with the velocity of the relationship. And so he, um, you know, he left, came back. Jada, however, brought in this third person. Now, the interesting thing about this, this is what probably differentiates what they experience as a couple versus what other couples experience, you know, when it comes to infidelity. What the church, what we know what scripture says about adultery, particularly, you know, this, more explicitly what Jesus said about adultery is even if a man thinks about it, he's done it. And so when you use that as a template of the idea of the adultery, you see.
But uh, in the case of Jada, they had developed a relationship with this young man, August Asina, as a mentee. They brought them into they brought him into their relationship, and Jada did dis, uh, display a sense of codependency in her as she. She had to she was codependent. She had the need to be needed. And she took a, advantage of that. Now she's saying she was providing you know, he came when he was in need and she provided that care. in the counseling profession we call that transference. The idea of transference is that um you transfer to someone else uh what you see and someone else uh, from another party. So, for example, if you have father issues, uh, transference is taking the father issue you have and transferring it to that person who is providing counsel to you. It could be healthy and it can be unhealthy because it, it's there, it goes both ways. You know, uh, the, the therapist is doing it with the client in some ways and the client is doing it with the therapist in some ways. And we do it all the time. We we do transference all the time in our regular interactions. But when you take advantage of that, it, it's very dangerous. And that's exactly what happened with Jada. Her emotional vulnerability uh, and her codependency likelihood, you know, yielded to this young man opportunity for a relationship that was really a false sense of hope for him. Because this young man, not only had he given in to her uh, romantically, sexually, but he had also given in into her emotionally. Uh, and and that vulnerability was really a powerful emotion that he conveyed to her and that she took advantage of because of reacting to how she felt in her relationship with Will. And couples do this all the time, sometimes not to the degree that uh, Jada did, and it's not just women who are doing. Some and some sometimes women are more uh, vulnerable to uh, emotions and activities like this because that's part of their general nature. You know, it's nothing against. I'm not speaking ill against women like that, but that's just part of their, their caring and nurturing nature. So the other thing that has to be done and acknowledged is that. Um, Will and his reactions just by his facial expressions were deeply, uh, by the most part, you could tell he was deeply emotionally impacted by it. Um, maybe they had discussed this before, and now these emotions were coming back. And I see it in, when I have clients in marital counseling, and we, we discuss issues like this. And a lot of times, even though these, these couples have discussed it, once they're speaking again, that speaking about it again, even if it's with a third party therapist, the same emotions come back. And well, Will did a wonderful job masking it through laughter uh, and you know gesturing. You can see some of his body language. He will well managed emotionally. 
At least that's how I came across. But for a lot of couples, that is not the case. And as a pastor, when I do counseling with therapy, when I do counseling with couples, uh, one because I'm divorced, <laughs> I did not have a successful marriage. <laughs> that's that's the biggest thing I had to not say. Look, if you're looking for me to help you have a great marriage, I can tell you, I don't know how to do that. So don't expect that of me because I had a failed one. <laughs> but I am able to equip you with tools and the means of better having a, a better, more fulfilled relationship. Uh, it's possible because of, you know the systems theory that I use, systems approach that I use addresses that. Um, and one of the means is by differentiating itself, helping them find that emotional balance, emotional intelligence, and uh, that really works. Uh, but I just want to talk about it because we we have couples like Will and Jada in our churches, and a lot of times they will not come to the, the pastor for counseling. They will not go outside to a licensed therapist for counseling. They will just try to work it out, hammer it out, and a lot of times it's successful. But in our day and age, it's not. We we quit too too easy. My grandparents were married for 64 years before my grandmother passed. And I can tell you that uh, while they were married so long, they did not have a perfect marriage by any means. And even though they didn't have a perfect marriage, what they did have is a solid connection and a strong bond that enabled them to to go through what they went through. But at the same time, uh, my grandmother was one of those old school women. Man going to be a man, do what he do, in so many words. And we don't have that today. You know? I really wouldn't encourage a woman to have that attitude today. But it is what it is. I I just want to share my two thoughts on that and two cents on that. And I, I know there's probably a lot of underlying layers to that. But either way, it is what it is. We wish them well. And for other couples who held them as relationship goals, now you can see what relationship goals really look like and what it really takes to make it, it work. Anyway, I'm out. Again, thank you for listening. I invite you to uh, log in. Go visit our Facebook page, the Zero Network on Facebook. Listen to all the archive shows. Like that page. Also, you can listen to this broadcast on all your podcast outlets on iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you can find a podcast. Uh, we are here. Apple, iTunes also. Thank you for support. Um, and we'll be looking and listening out for you as we continue to celebrate 10 years. So, guys, take care and be blessed. And I am out. 